Good afternoon. This afternoon because it's not morning. And if you're listening to this, I'm taping this on a, what is this, Tuesday? It's a Tuesday. So I'm at Bethel AME and I'm talking to the very right reverend. Steve Cousin. I am not right to reverend. <laughs> I am just a reverend. <laughs> so we're over here at the AME Church talking to um, Reverend Cousin. I met Reverend Cousin um, at City Hall last year at a Delta event. I think the Deltas took over City Hall. City Hall about a reading program. Yes. And so you were there. And... Um, a couple of my sorrows go to this church, and they were like, oh, meet my minister, right? Yes. And I was like, what minister? You look like you're like 12, right? So- Thank you. I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I really do. No, you are very young looking. <laughs> so I was like all up in your face like, I don't believe you. And I'm walking around like, I don't believe you. Every minister I know, I, are you even, how old are you? 33. See, you're just like, just 33. Like, I think that's too young to be a minister. No, 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 don't. Everybody would think that. But um, I have members here that joke with me saying that they have grandchildren older than me. Yeah, I've got, I've got purses older than you, I think. You probably do. But it's all right. You know what? It's not the age. It's about the impact you can make. <laughs> so, Steve Cousin, Reverend Steve Cousin, why are you here at the AME? Why are you here, Bethel? Because this is a very historic church, um, you know, in the heart of New Haven. It's got a long-standing history. Um, you have some of the 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 most the cream of the crop of the folks in New Haven attend here. I'm pretty sure they'd be happy to hear that. Yeah, right. You've got some pretty powerful people here in this congregation. Um, and so, how did you get here? What are you doing here? <laughs> I like to thank my bishop, mm-hmm. Gregory Ingram, for sending me here. Okay. I was pastoring in a small place called Bridgeton, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I served there for two and a half years. And when um, this bishop came to our district, um, he thought in that robbery that he would send me to Bethel, New Haven. Okay. And it was a church that I knew a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, very familiar with the culture, the atmosphere. Really? Yeah. Yes. Um. Actually, I knew about Sandra's Next Generation when I was at college at UConn. Really? Yes. I went there from 2004, mm-hmm. and so when I was so excited to get back here, my first mission was to find Sandra's. <laughs> I've been here now since 2013. Really? I actually, a week after I turned 30, I was depressed because, you know, I'm a I'm an athlete or uh-huh. used to think I was an athlete. And they say 30, you're, you're going on a downward slope. Mm-hmm. So when I turned 30, I was a little bit depressed because I used to play basketball. And now I was the old man on the court, <laughs> you know, with, with my old man game. And that really threw me off. So, um... I always tell my church the best birthday present I received was a week later um, after I turned 30, mm-hmm. I got sent to Bethel. So when did you hear the call for God? How, when did, how did that happen for you? Because you're young and, you know, and I know young people go to ministry. I do because I, you know, I serve a church and we have a lot of young ministers and a lot of Yale Divinity students. And so I'm always in, a, always in conversation with young people, but I'm always interested in how people hear the call. Was it's, there a call? <laughs> you know what? And people and myself, we I never had that that road to Damascus experience where you you heard the lightning flashing or mm-hmm. the thunder rolling and 
God spoke to you. It, I think that um, what influenced my call and shaped my ministry was my grandfather is a bishop of the AME Church. Okay. My my father is a pastor. My uncles are pastors. My great grandfather um, served as a presiding elder um, in this church. So this is like the family business. So that's that's what they will <laughs> that's what they will say. Um, I know, but you could have made a different choice. I I really wanted to make a different choice. Mm -hmm. Um, I spent my last semester at UConn Mm -hmm. interning on Capitol Hill with Congressman John Larson. Really? Yes. So you could have been in politics. They they offered me a full-time position Uh um, to be a staff assistant once I graduated, and initially I accepted. Really? I I was on my way um, to D.C. They gave me my package. I was so excited. Now, that's a whole different kind of world, right? Believe it or not, it's the same. Really? That's what a lot of people, I believe, really don't understand. But politics and religion really go hand in hand. No. Yes. Mm. Because when I was on Capitol Hill, I attended a lot of briefings for my congressman Mm -hmm. about different legislative issues, what have you. And everything that came across my desk was... We have to get the faith-based organizations on board. Oh. We have to get their support. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking to myself, why do they keep asking the churches for support? Mm-hmm. But it just lets me know that the church is a sleeping giant within the community. Okay. And if you can really utilize and tap that potential, mm-hmm. you can really make change in your respective communities. Mm-hmm. So that that weighed with me. And once I graduated, originally accepted the offer, I heard a sermon being preached. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is what the world wants to hear? It, it really threw me off. And because I really believe that we have moved as a black church from a prophetic ministry mm-hmm. to more of a prosperity gospel. Yeah. And, and you do know, you feel that? I mean, do you see it? I you see it, you sense it. Um, prosperity gospel is merely so God's going to bless you just because. If you were to do this, you would get that. Yeah. Pro- prophetic ministry, you tell people what they need to hear. And not necessarily what they want to hear. Okay. And because you go that route, um, you may lose some members. Mm. Um, some people don't like hearing the truth. And that's remind me of the prophets of old, where when they saw a prophet coming, people didn't run towards them. They ran away from them <laughs> <laughs> because they were um, deemed as the bearer of bad news. Okay. So... Considering where the world was going and knowing that the church really has to be the voice and can really shape policy, that's when I made the decision to go into the ministry. So it was more of a conscious decision, Mm -hmm. more as like a a great awakening. I I wanted to go into the church um, to really be able to shape policy. And, you know, people may talk about, you know, Church and religion, staying in church should be separate. But really, back in the old church, the pastor had to be everything. Mm -hmm. The pastor had to be the lawyer, had to be the doctor, 
had to be the teacher, had to be the police officer, the educator, what have you. I never thought about it that way. Well, think about it. What did really African Americans have? That's true. In terms of economics, Mm -hmm. politics, we were locked out of the educational system. Mm -hmm. So Sunday school for us was not just, you know, on Sunday morning, but it was really the time where students and children were able to come to the church to get their education. And so that pastor had to be the smartest person <laughs> to, to lead a congregation. Oh, I like that. Wow. So what, what do you, when you see these prosperity folks, ministers and the prosperity gospel, what happens to you? Like, what do you think? Do you ever feel like, you know what, I... I, I like some of that, or, oh, I don't know, I don't know. You have to understand, what are you doing it for? Okay. Um, there's a reason why people preach certain messages. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask yourself why you're doing it. Now, if you're trying to get people in the pews and for people to to give all what they have, Mm -hmm. then, you know, to each his own. I'm not, I don't really judge. That's not really my my style. I just know that it does not work for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that if you are a pastor, you are a, a teacher and a preacher, you are really called to really tell people what's really happening. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at it, I use the analogy of being a parent. Sometimes your children are not going to like you. Um, you, you know, like right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you cannot treat your, your children as your friends. Um, because if you're actually acting as their friend, you cannot really discipline them in the correct way Mm -hmm. because you're concerned about how they may feel or what they may think. As a parent, you have to make those decisions knowing that it's not about today, but it's 10 years from now Mm -hmm. where I know where you're headed and it's up to me to help you get there. Mm -hmm. And if I see that you're going off course, I need to correct you and I need to tell you what's happening before you go down this road. Okay. Now, me and my parents, we butt ahead all the time. Why? I, I thought I knew everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I would challenge them every single step of the way. Mm-hmm. I just thought that I knew everything about how the world worked. Mm-hmm. And now um, being in my position, having a son of my own, I call my parents every day and I thank them. Uh, for how they raised me because now I understand why Mm -hmm. they did the things that they did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So So now did you go to seminary? I went to seminary. I started off at ITC um, Mm -hmm. down in Atlanta and then I transferred to Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. I had to say that long name. <laughs> now, where are you from originally? Because you're not from Connecticut, are you? No, I'm not from Connecticut. I was born in the great state of Alabama, um, born in Birmingham. Oh, 
And everybody <laughs> on my mother's side still lives there today. Really? That's yes. the Mecca of civil rights, yeah, right? Yes, it is. I trust me, I learned a lot about our history um, when I spent my time down there. And I so my brothers and my mother, we moved from Alabama to a place called Bristol, Pennsylvania mm-hmm. um, at the age of seven. And so that's why you don't have an accent. I still have it. It comes out. It comes out like when you're with your people. It, it, see, it's funny because when I'm up here, mm-hmm. people automatically assume I have that southern drawl. When I'm down south, people say I'm a northerner. <laughs> so I feel displaced, <laughs> you know, just trying to figure out well, how am I supposed to sound. So I, I think it's a I don't hear the mix. southern accent that much. I don't. It okay. comes out. All right. Okay. It, it trust me. It definitely comes out. All right. All right. So you're in seminary. How was that experience? It was fun. Yeah. It opened up my eyes to the business every, of the church. They don't teach you about the business of the church. No. 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 It's just mostly no. the, theological stuff. Mostly theology, um, theoretical application, uh-huh. um, so to speak. Um, so. But I never forget my first day in seminary down in Atlanta. They had a they had a saying, "This is not your average Sunday school lesson," and they really broke down the Bible, mm-hmm. where it made you critically think about why these gospels were written, why these books are ordered in such a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really constructive, and it really opened up my eyes. And thinking to myself, why aren't we teaching this to our members? And it really just, you know, expanded my mind. Mm-hmm. It really deepened my faith. And um, and I can really appreciate that about going to seminary mm-hmm. because people have the misconception that once you go to seminary, you're going to have all of your questions, uh, answers, um, questions answered. That's not the case. You, you <laughs> usually leave having more questions than you do having answers. Mm-hmm. But it, it gave us a platform to ask those questions. And that's really what I admire. Things that we may not ask in the church mm-hmm. um, because we're afraid how people may view us or say about us. But we can ask those in seminary. And they were more welcoming to that. And they, that's what they wanted from you, to really question um, you know, your theology. So when did you learn about the business of the church? Because that's a whole different kind. Of, because the business of the church is really the managing of the church and the coordination of staff and resources, right? I thank God I have family in the church. Oh, that's right. That I watch them. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned from them. I, I studied what they did, um, how they're able to manage um, being able to organize, learning the, the administrative side of the church. And that's not a side that not too many people see. Um, so I was really blessed, starting from birth, really, mm-hmm. um, being able to see what goes on behind the scenes. So coming into this church, I, I basically had an advantage because of seeing it all my life. Okay. Now, what do you, what's the best part of your job? What's the best part? The best part of my job is really the one thing that I like about the church 
is that when a member comes up to me looking for or needing a situation to be resolved, what have you, um, not only having prayer with that person, mm -hmm. but being able to now give them the assistance they're seeking. Okay. To me, that's the best part, where um, right now Bethel is, uh, we're hosting our warming center uh, for, the, for our homeless population. We call them our guests. Mm -hmm. And we saw well over easily 50 people a night. Really? I had no idea. Yes, we, we opened, we actually opened our warming center for the first time last year for mm -hmm. the entire winter season, and the numbers just kept growing. And where, where's your warming center? This church um, downstairs? Downstairs in our fellowship hall. Okay. And last year, for those who went through our warming center, 30 people were able to receive housing. Oh. So that means you connect them to services? Yes. Okay. We have a great partner in Community Action Agency mm -hmm. where they came in um, every single night to actually do case management work for us to get them connected to services. Mm -hmm. So by us having these resources coming in, um, meeting the people where they are, they were able to receive and be connected to services um, throughout the city. So what was that like? Like, did you inherit that or did you start that year? Did it begin when you arrived, or was that something that was always here? It's funny. I never intended um, to be on this road. Two years ago, the city put out a memo asking churches to be an emergency warming center. Mm -hmm. Basically, the, the gist was, if our overflow shelters, our shelters are filled to capacity, then we're going to need churches to open up, mm -hmm. um, you know, to be the backup to the backup to the backup, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so I responded to it. I said, well, hey, if you, if you need us, we are available. And I'll never forget, I taught Bible study Wednesday night. I got a phone call an hour later saying that, the city is not prepared for this cold weather that's coming through. They need us to open up tomorrow. What? <laughs> I was expecting we're going to open up in February, <laughs> March, just like one or two days out the entire season. So now here you want us to open up in, in tomorrow, in December, on Thursday? And so we just said, okay. Mm -hmm. So from... That moment, we opened up for a full week. We did from Thursday to Thursday. And on the first night, we had about maybe one or two people um, that came to our warming center. But by the week's end, we had close to 30 people Wow! Um, by the end where we ended. Mm -hmm. And I found myself um, being so involved where there were some nights I stayed here and slept um, at the church between the hours of 10 p.m. through 7 a.m. because I really wanted to see them succeed. At the end of the day, it was all about them getting warm. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really think about how it was going to happen, but if they're cold, at least we could do is open up our doors to the church. So the very the, um, next winter season, that's when the city put out um, an RFP for, for warming centers. 
So, you know, we did it and we, we filled it out. And they actually gave us um, a contract mm-hmm. to, to run a warming center for the entire year. And they asked us, now we want you to make it your own. And so one question that we asked ourselves was, okay, people are coming. They're getting fed. But the next question is, well, why are you here? What, what got you in this situation? Everybody has a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really not, not for us. The, the, the thing is we wanted to know what can we do to help your life just go on a little bit easier. So once we started talking and we saw like a woman needed eyeglasses or another person needed identification cards, once we knew what those needs were, we were able to connect them to services. So we did that last year mm-hmm. and it worked out quite well. So here we are in our third year <laughs> uh, of doing it and now we have... Um, over easily now. We started off when we opened up in December, around 20 people. Now we're up to about 60 average. Wow. So what's the cutoff? Is there no cutoff? The cutoff was originally 50. That that was capacity. And, but I just feel bad in saying no and turning people away. So you you do what you can to make it work, mm-hmm. um, but do you feed them too? Yes, ma'am. Wow. So you give them shelter and you feed them. Oh my! I know this story. This sounds very sounds like another guy who was doing that. Well, you know, my <laughs> my 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 caller, my my chief of staff, Meredith Benson. She has this wonderful motto. She says, "Um, get warm, get fed, get support." Okay. And so every night we feed them um, our very best to serve a hot meal. Like the very first night we opened up, um, our our cook, a wonderful person, Mona Lisa Janisi, she did fried chicken, macaroni and cheese, oh, collard greens. Here. You know, she she really did it big that night. Um, just to really show our love and appreciation because um, although they may see that we're blessing them, truly. Um, we are blessed by them. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why uh, we do what we do, because that's how I believe we get our blessings, by helping others. Mm-hmm. So you get here, you're a young minister. Now, where do you live? Do you live in New Haven? I live in New Haven now. Yeah? You <laughs> yes, do? Ma'am. Like, did you live here before? You know what? It was funny because my overall goal, I wanted to make it a mission to live in New Haven when I first came here. Uh-huh. And um, I had a wonderful real estate agent, uh, Wendy Hall, mm-hmm. um, who was showing me places in New Haven, but they just wasn't working out for me. So she showed me this um, condo on Whitney Avenue, but it was on a Hamden town line. <laughs> and so I was like, I love this place, but I'm not sure. She said, well, think about it. You don't have to tell people that you live in Hamden. Just say you live off of Whitney Avenue because they will never know the difference anyway. So that's what I did for the first, you know, two years. I never told people Hamden. I just said Whitney Avenue. So now you're married? I'm married. How long have you been married? Five years this past September. And you have a beautiful little son. Yes, Stevie. Um, Stephen III, and he is three. He turned three in September. Wow. three is a, I love three. Three is the magical age. That's, That's what they say, man. you know, is he's really coming to his own where even yesterday, I'll never forget, um, Sunday night, 
we're actually putting puzzles together. And then he just plotted our day for Monday, said, okay, daddy, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> I'm going to have sausage and eggs. <laughs> then we're going to go to Chuck E. Cheese. And then we're going to go shopping for Hot Wheels. And then I'm going to eat hot dogs. And we're going to go home. And so that, that was his day that he told me. And he said, okay. Like, I need to sign yeah, off on that. Yeah, like, so, no, we're not co-signing that. But I did it anyway. You did? Well, you know, because, just like you said, I, I really can't get these moments back. Yes, you can. And, you know, so I, I try to spend as much time as I possibly can with him because, you know, with the work that I'm doing for the church and the community, what have you, um, I always told myself and made a promise that if I go into the ministry, I have to put my family first. Mm -hmm. I cannot put them on a back burner. And no matter how busy I may get, I want to let them know that they will always be my first priority. Now, what does your wife do? She is she re, she actually attained her PhD at wow. Vanderbilt in American history. So Dr. Cousin? Yes, that that I don't call her Dr. Cousin, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> She don't call me reverend either. So. <laughs> but she actually, she um she is an adjunct professor at Gateway Community College Okay, now. okay. So she just... um she's Does she very, like it here? She told me, I can go anywhere, but she's staying right here. <laughs> That's a good thing. She loves New Haven. I love New Haven too, but I think she loves it just a little bit more than you. Than, than me. Yeah. And so she says, whatever you do, as long as I get to stay in my house and stay in this city. <laughs> so you did finally move to New Haven. I finally moved to New Haven. No, what neighborhood are you in? Because you know, um, New Haven is very, it's very neighborhood driven. Yeah, yes, it is. Um, I live in Westville. Okay. See, I live over in Beaver Hill. So See, I, live... I, I know Beaver Hill. I want to East Shore. Okay. Because I love being by the water. I know, but that cute bridge, boy. That's the only thing I didn't And even not though wanna... it's pretty now and nice and wide. I didn't want to hop on 95. Yeah, see? Um, every time I come into my yeah. church. But I love I the know. scenery. I do too. I like but, the water. But um, they told me that um, happy wife, happy life. Yeah. So <laughs> she told me that... Um, <laughs> You can think about East Shore all you want, but we're only looking at Westville. There you go. So, you know, that that's what happened. So tell me about your first day here. What was it like? Because I'm sure there was an interview process, right? No. No, there was no interview no. process? No. What do there, you mean, no? There was no... In our church... Um, you just we, get assigned? And it's how we get assigned okay. that makes all the difference. In, in our church, we have a, a system called the itinerant ministry. Okay. Itinerant simply and means And this is an AME thing. A AME thing. Okay. And I will tell you, I was pastoring in Mount Zion AME Church in Bristol, New Jersey. I went to a conference in Philadelphia um, from Thursday through Saturday. Now, my bishop told me that he was moving me, but he would not tell me where. And it was a big secret. So... I did not know I was coming to Bethel, New Haven, until Saturday afternoon. Whoa! Whoa! And I had to... Do you to, get to say no? And you, say, I'll wait for the next go-round? In our line of work, the rule of thumb is, once you say no, don't expect to be asked again. Oh, it's that tough? Wow. 
Very few people refuse an appointment. Okay. Um, so you, you go where you are sent. So and how long do you stay until they decide otherwise? Our, our appointments are really only one year. But you've been here how long? Um, three and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> but every year I'm up for renewal. Yeah. So and how does that feel? Well, it's it's because I've been in it. Mm-hmm. I really don't think nothing much about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, some places you feel comfortable at. Some places you may not. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel very comfortable being here, mm-hmm. and so. But at the end of the day, it's up to my bishop. But um, I told him that. I bought my house here. So, you, you know. Just, so, I like to stay. Just to give you a heads up, you know, I, I did buy, buy a house in New Haven. So, that, that indicated to him that I planned on being here yeah. for, for a while. And do they, are they receptive to that? I guess they are because you're still here. They are receptive, but you never know because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you really serve um, at the hand of the bishop. Okay. So if the bishop needs you to go to another charge, um, as itinerant, you are expected to go. Mm-hmm. So some people have leeway, some don't. Um, it just depends what the what the need and the call is. Mm-hmm. So so they so you get here, they see this very young minister come in. <laughs> You know, and I, I'm not sure of the, the age difference in this church, but I would imagine that you've got a, a, a pretty full, uh, mature No, that, that's a good way of saying it. Right? You know, but the funny thing is, this church is used to having young pastors. Okay. Um, where the Reverend um, Stanley Justice. Yes. He was 26. Yes. Um, when he first got assigned to the church. And then you had um, Reverend Dalen Greer mm-hmm. um, in the early 2000s. He was um, assigned here at the age of 30. Okay. So, okay. so they basically, when they, when they, they knew of my name, my last name, because my, my grandfather presided over this district in the 90s. Okay. So they knew my last name, but they did not know who I was. Mm-hmm. But they're used to having, you know, young ministers they just said, oh, here we go again. You know, we, we have, now we got a 30-something, you know, year-old um, leading us. When are we going to get a, some, a, an older pastor, so to speak? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but they're, they're used to it. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So, you know, my, my first day here, um, you don't want to, to really ruffle the feathers too much. Mm-hmm. Um. It was funny because, you know, we talk about the business side of the church. Um, You really don't want to talk business uh, on your first day. You just really want to go in and just have a great worship experience. And then you handle everything else maybe a week or two down the road. Yes. Um, So really, I I walked on eggshells. Mm -hmm. And I think people saw it because, you know, I really followed a charismatic preacher um, and uh, Reverend Dr. Joseph Hooper, mm-hmm. um, where he served, um, I believe, five years here. Um, very charismatic, phenomenal preacher, teacher. 
and yet I had to follow him. Mm-hmm. So I'm already, you know, behind the eight ball, I so to the, speak. I see the tweets that come out of church. Oh goodness! See, you never, you never know what people are going to tweet. Oh no, they tweet you, 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 you. Um, you have good services because people always tweet the message. Sunday's message was this. And I was like, whoa. I need to find out who your friends are. <laughs> Just know I'm a Delta and you got a bunch oh, of Deltas okay. in well, this I, church. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but so it was really coming into that role where um, I knew it was always my, my dream to come to Bethel New Haven. Really? Seriously? This is where I wanted to be. Wow. Have you been, did you ever visit here before being assigned? It was funny because I came here in March when they hosted an annual conference. And I just walked around the church, you know, seeing everybody because I still have friends in this conference. And I never forget, um, a great friend of mine now, uh, Reverend Orsella Hughes. Yes. And so I love her. She is a phenomenal oh person, God, especially you know what she's doing with Serenity Outreach. Yes. Um, you know, I'm like I'm trying to find a husband now just so she. <laughs> I mean, no, no, no disrespect to my minister, Reverend Stackhouse, who I love, <laughs> but you know, there's something about that Miss Orsella Hughes she, that just. She is a a phenomenal, talented woman of God, and um. When I came here, what was I saying? You made me lose my train of thought talking then about you, her. You came here, and she was one of the first people, I guess, somebody that you there knew. There you go. She had, she had an 8 o'clock service, mm-hmm. and I was... Because I told her if she ever had that again, I would come. Well, we talk, we're, we're, that's still in the works. We're still planning I would, that I would out. Because I, I, then I could go to my church. There you go. But I would come be with her because I like her. But you see, and see, when I met her at the annual conference, I asked her, I said, what service should I come to? The 8 o'clock service or the 11 o'clock at the time. And she said, come to my service. She said, we, we got it going on. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take you up on that. That happened in March. Mm-hmm. I got assigned here in June. Wow. So a few months later, here I am. So how do you feel about women in the church? Because you're young enough to not come with, you know, this, this notion of women shouldn't be preachers. Women shouldn't be ministering. Women shouldn't be in the pulpit. I don't and know you, what it, And you've heard that. I'm sure you must have heard that in your life. I've heard it, but... You've I, not experienced you, it you, or... you got to show me in the it. Bible um, where you don't have women who are exhorters of the word. Um, me, personally, I believe that if you're called, I never question your calling. Um, so if God called you and this is what you want to do, then, hey, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. So I, I support, you know, women in the ministry, especially, you know, those who are really dedicated, those who are, are focused. If, but you see, what I'm, you see where I'm going because, I mean, you, have, you must have heard people or seen it or experienced, you know, men saying, I don't, or, or, and some women too, that, you know, they sh- you know women are not, shouldn't be in the, and I, I don't in leading the the word. So one one um, particular passage of scripture was in the book of Judges. What about Deborah? Mm-hmm. You know, she was the only female judge, and yet she saved the nation. So we we have great women in the Bible. We just don't tell their stories enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good point. I mean, we, we really don't. We really don't highlight, you know, women that really rallied 
to save their people and their nation. Mm -hmm. And so what I respect about those who who preach the word, if God has called you, um, you could be male, female, you can be old, young, what have you. I believe that God shows no impartiality where if God says you're going to do it, God can use anybody. That's true. Listen, this is Babs Rolls Ivy because I didn't even say that at the beginning. And I'm sitting here in um, Bethel AME talking to Reverend um, Stephen Cousin. And we're just talking about his his uh, life as a minister here and Bethel with this rich history. And AME with this even richer history. Uh, we're talking, having the great conversation um, around that. So this is a 103.5 WNHH um, live streamed on newhavenindependent.org. Gotta let people know who's talking. Boy, I tell you, <laughs> they they should know your voice anywhere. <laughs> so so tell me about the richness of the Bethel hist of the AME history. Well, we always go back to to Richard Allen because you got a stamp now, right? Because I saw the stamp. Yes, we the actually whole stamp. <laughs> that 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 fell that fell that coincided with our celebrating our bicentennial yeah. 200 years. Yes. And that was really as a denomination. Mm-hmm. But we, Richard Allen, founded the church. Oh, they're going to kill me for this one. I I believe it was 1787. Uh-huh. Christina, <laughs> I hope I got that right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Talk to talk to Reverend Cousin. Don't call Babs. You know my my wife is a is an Amy history um scholar. So okay. Oh Lord. Yeah. So you know I got to be on my toes when I talk about Amy history. But really, our our founder and the the story goes how um, he was worshiping at St George's United Methodist Church in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. but they only had a certain section where African-Americans were able to, to sit. Mm-hmm. So that even though they were in church, with they, were their, they were still segregated. Okay. And the story goes where they went up to go for prayer. It wasn't their time. And Usher tried to get them up from the altar. And Richard Allen said, you know, let me pray here, but once I get up, you don't have to worry about me again. And that's when he and others left on walk down to St. George's. But it, so we, we tell that story, but people don't understand the, the fullness of that story. Where really, Richard Allen was upset because nobody wanted to address the issues that was plaguing the black community. Yeah. Where he would go to church, and they could hear about this loving God. They could hear about this awesome God. But you would make it seem that God wasn't for African Americans. And so where where was their story being told? And how come you want to talk about all the other issues, but none that specifically talk about the African-American community? Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why I believe that Richard Allen started the church, really to serve as a platform and as a base where we get to learn about God through our perspective and how God really is for us and God cares about our issues that affect us in our communities. That's a good... I like that. So, African, Methodist... Episcopal Church. Episcopal Church. Okay. That's a rich history. Yes. Do you feel the weight of that sometimes? Yes and no. You only feel the weight when we're pressed with some type of struggle mm-hmm. or opposition. Mm-hmm. 
and what we feel like we're called to to be on the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, but when nothing is going on, so to speak, um, in the world or in the society, it is basically, you know, business as usual, mm-hmm. um, how I will, I will coin that phrase. Does the AME um, welcome um, gays and lesbians and queers and transgendered people? You ask a very good question that we are just now starting to have a conversation um, regarding our policy and our stance, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing. Conversation Mm -hmm. is always needed. Um, As far as my church and as far as my policy, uh, my church is open to anybody and everybody uh, from all walks of life Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, Discrimination is discrimination. And as African Americans, we know what it's like to be discriminated against. Just on skin color. On skin color. Before you even talk about anything else. Exactly. So, (laughs) how can we turn around and discriminate others? But people say, well, we have God on our side. But. So when people discriminate against us, they, they said the they same have, thing yes. that God wasn't with us. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're just saying the same thing, you know, to to another to another group of people, which I think is unfair. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, only God can judge us. We are here to love one another and to respect one another and try to seek some type of understanding of how we live our lives. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's what it means when King talk about. I mean, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. talks about a beloved community. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I always said the black church is the most liberal, yet the most conservative church um, (laughs) that that we have. We we are liberal in um, our theology that God will set you free from whatever. Mm -hmm. But we are conservative when it comes to family values. Mm. where, you know, uh, a family is between a man and a woman and a child, and we really don't talk about having two dads or two moms mm-hmm. or having a child identifying as a gender opposite of their birth. Yeah. So we, we never have those conversations mm-hmm. to really expand our definition of family. Mm-hmm. So I say we are very liberal, but yet we're also very conservative. That's a, that's a very interesting uh, take on that. That's a very wise take. So um, do you feel some kind of way about shepherding your church around these kinds of waters? Somebody has to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you you know, you always try to be be careful you just can't throw people out there and say this is how it's going to be yeah. <laughs> uh, because, you know, you're, you're going to run them away. Mm-hmm. But if you continue to talk about it, mm-hmm. to continue to uplift it, and most people actually catch on to where you're headed and where you're going. So I believe that what I say, pay close attention <laughs> because <laughs> it's coming down the road. <laughs> well, I think one of the most beautiful things, I think last year we have our first LGBTQ church um, that just opened up. Oh, really? Now, that I did not know. It, it, um, they had their first service sometime last year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's phenomenal, um, you know, for them to have their own Oh, space. here, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, yes, yes. I saw that. I saw that. Yes. And I would love to actually reach out. I haven't done it yet, but mm-hmm. just to reach out 
and you know just say whatever Bethel can do to help you mm-hmm. um just let us know we'll do our very best to to accommodate you in whatever way we can so now you told me about um what your what your um what you like about the church what what do you find the most challenging like what's the thing that keeps you up at night about this work change what is change what does that look like everybody Talk a bit about that everybody says they want change but once they realize that they have to be the ones to change, that's when you have problems. Uh-huh. Where when I first came to this church, I said that I don't want to change behavior. Behavior is easy. It reminds me of, um, I want to say, Pavlov's Bell. Yes. Where, you know, Dr. Rang the Bell, yeah. dog came running because yeah. he knew the food was going to be there. Yeah. But, yeah, when he rang the bell, the dog started salivating even when the food wasn't there. <laughs> I said, I, I don't want to change behavior. I want to change your mindset. I want to change your way of thinking. I want to change the culture. That is the hardest thing we can do mm-hmm. is change the minds of people. So that's what keeps me up. At night Mm -hmm. is really how do you have people embrace change and have them willing to accept change and have them understanding that they, too, have to change. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say that the black church is always 20 years behind the times. I think you're right. Well, we don't embrace change. Um, we, We wait until, like, you know, it's not as popular or people don't think about it, then we start talking about it. Mm-hmm. Where um, going back to the LGBTQ community, we my one of our bishops talked about how we need to have a a conversation on homosexuality. And my grandfather, who just turned um, eighty one, be eighty two this year, he said that was um, an excellent speech, and we need to have a conversation on homosexuality. And I told my grandfather, that conversation needed to happen in the 90s. <laughs> I said, you need to talk about, I said, right now, you missed the point. What are you going to do about the transgender community? Right. Um, right. What, are, what are you going to do about those who are identifying as male or female? Or pansexual, they, all these different things. There's, there's so many. Yes. But the church ain't touching that. Right. So, you know, how is it that we're able to speed up and, you know, we would say that, well, we're not, you know, supposed to be of the world, not of the world, however you want to say it. But at the end of the day, you got to see that this world is evolving and this world is changing. And if we're supposed to be the leaders of the world, we have to be aware of the times that we live in mm-hmm. in order to actually set the course. But if we're always going to be reactionary, that means that we're just playing catch up to what the world is already doing. So, so... So we're about to wrap up in a few minutes because I think we have about, I don't know, like two, three minutes. So do you see the church, do you see the church having a role in politics? Absolutely. Because, you know, there's some there are some conversations around, you know, not sort of having political discussions in your church and not having pastors sort of be deliberate in their, in their um, sharing of you know, focusing on a political outside of the church. You know what I mean? Like, Why is it that um, it's tradition in the Roman Catholic Church? They have this major fundraiser in New York um, where 
this past presidential election, yeah. Hillary Clinton and, and Donald, Donald Trump, Trump had to show up. And that's that thing is like, I don't know, 75 years old or some old thing. So they can have it. And you know how even Donald Trump went to Jerry Falwell's church just to get <laughs> his endorsement. Right, right. So the black church, we can't do the same thing because at the end of the day, they're still looking for us because we are their voting block. And if we don't learn how to utilize that and to really shape policies that affect us, mm-hmm. if you're trying to isolate church from policy, you're really cutting off an arm of what the social gospel is all about. And that's really what King was preaching. This That's is our, pretty good. This is our mission. This is what we're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. shaping policy. King was a very political figure mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, you can have all the prayer meetings and the Bible studies in your church, but if you're not getting laws changed, <laughs> you know, then what, what, what are we doing? Right. So you, you have to be involved in, in the political process. You have to be involved in shaping policy because it affects us all in one way or the other, where um, the the House and the Senate um, and the federal government just changed procedural rules to affect Obamacare, affecting 20 million people. <coughs> yes. And, and you know some of those people go to church. And you don't think, show up on your doorstep. And you don't think that we don't have a role to play in that? Mm. Well, what are we going to do? Oh, Jesus loves you anyhow? <laughs> So you, I believe you gotta do much more. Yes, you, Jesus loves you. Yes, but yes. can you pick up the phone? Can you make some phone calls? Can you make sure that your voices are heard mm-hmm. to actually be able to change, influence, and shape policy? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I believe that the church is all about. So now, what do you do for fun? What's your fun thing? Not not my, with your kid. Not my, with my. my what, what, what do y'all do for fun? My my wife will will kill me for saying this, but I am an avid gamer. I have my <laughs> Xbox One. Are you one of those? I I, oh. I am a gamer. Yes, I, I have my headset. I got my friends. We play at a certain so, time so, at night. So is that like the stuff that nobody could touch? Like y'all could touch anything else, but not my game stuff. Uh, listen, when when members call me. <laughs> And uh, I'm telling myself, if they don't see me answer the phone, they pretty much know why I'm I'm normally on my video game. So that that's really what I I do for fun, just to take my mind off of things. Where yes, I, I am a gamer. Oh Lord, have mercy! I had no idea. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh! So like a, like a true gamer, like you stay on top of what's coming out, and I'm on IGN.com. Oh, you are a real gamer. So I have all the top games at my house. Get out. I know all the reviews. I know what's getting ready to come. So, you know, yes. Oh, now but I'm going to get you to write reviews of games. You you let me know. You could do I, that. I, just, I definitely just consider, can. consider that your job now. You, you let you, me know. I'm, and telling I tell you, you, I'm telling you now. Well, I'm ready. Review the game. Whatever game you want to review, review them and keep it going. All right, that, that's fine. I, I was actually thinking about buying another console. Oh. Um, you know, get the PS4 because people, my other friends have that too. So I thought about having two of them at my house. Um, so I'm not sure my wife would feel about that. Oh, well. I, listen, Mrs. Cousin, I am not supporting this. <laughs> I want that to be on the record. I am not encouraging this. 
but that that's what I do in my spare time more now than than ever. All right, all right. Well, this has been a rich conversation. I'm so glad that I finally got caught up with you, so we can have this conversation. No, thank you for having me. I feel honored to go on the Babs Ivy <laughs> show. You know, um, it's like every day I have this opportunity, so the pleasure. Oh is no, all this mine. is great. And your your piece that you wrote on your um your reflection on Martin Luther King um should be running um this week, so people will pick it up Wednesday, Thursday at the, Thursday Friday they can pick it up, and this will air Friday morning at ten o'clock. So I'll. Tag people and tag you, and people can go back and listen. I don't like my voice. You, so you'll I, be I may, surprised. No, you'll I, be surprised. I, I, I may not listen. You are a preacher. What? <laughs> I never listen to my sermons. After I preach it, I am done. I never go back. I do not like my voice. Well, it's a very fine voice, and I so appreciate your time. No, thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So, hey, y'all, I will uh, be back on air next Friday live. So in the meantime, in between time, y'all have a good weekend. Take care. So and there's no music to play you out, so we're just leaving. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me just shut this off because they're all